Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists. Good morning. I bet that woke you up. That was a killer tune called Nobody by an amazing artist named Sate. That song was co-written and produced by Hill Kirkutis, and Hill just happens to be my very special guest today. My name is Stuart McKee, and this is Musicians FAQ. My 
guest this morning is an award-winning, multi-talented creative musical force. She has collaborated with and written songs for some of the top artists in Canadian music, including Leela Gilday, Royal Wood, Jewels, The Weeknd, Digging Roots, Cassie De Silva, Sate, Madison, Violet, Pavlo, and Martha and the Muffins, as well as Tanya Joy, July Talk, Adam Cohen, Dear Rouge, Good Lovelies, Jill Barber, Sass Jordan, and Serena Ryder. And that's not even everyone. My guest this week also appreciates what she has and how she got there. She's always looking to pay it back or pay it forward by coaching and mentoring new emerging artists. I am so thrilled to welcome to the show, Hill Kirkutis. So my guest this week on Musicians FAQ is Hill Kirkutis. Hill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> my pleasure. So I always want to go back to the beginning, find out kind of where you're born, what your childhood was like. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I uh, I guess I was born in uh, Scarborough, but now they changed my birth certificate or the passport now. It says Toronto because it's oh. the amalgamation. Of yeah. But yeah, I was born in Scarborough, but grew up um, in a hamlet called Greenwood, north of Ajax. Okay. And um, yeah, I, 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 it was a pretty looking back idyllic childhood there was there was a, a property that i lived on that was about five acres that backed onto a forest so as a kid i just remember you know dreaming a lot and running around in a forest and collecting like rocks and bones and making up alternate realities wow nice <laughs> yeah that, that does sound idyllic and siblings and yeah, I have um, an older sister and a younger brother, so I'm a I'm a middle child, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and I grew up. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm also Greek, so I grew up in a typical Greek household, multiple generations. Um, like my grandparents lived with us. Um, I had my my parents, and then next door, my aunt and uncle, and my other my grandmother lived there. So yeah, it was a it was a family affair. Nice, and my nice. cousins as well. Yeah, and probably lots of great food. So much food, like yeah. so much awesome food. That's the center of my universe, aside from and, music. <laughs> nice. Uh, and was there a lot of music growing up? Was it a lot of Greek music or was it more contemporary music? And it, it was a mix. Like there, um, we listened to everything growing up, obviously a lot of Greek music just because it was, um, we're so connected to our culture. Um, but I also just grew up listening to like, you know, top 40 radio. Um, I had an older sister that kind of introduced me to a lot of cool music. So I feel like I... I got a bit of an introduction into some music that wasn't necessarily a part of my generation. You know, it right. was a couple of years ahead um, that I, I started listening to way younger, which was awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and were were you musical right from the start or was it like just kind of you enjoyed music, but did, were you going around the house singing and banging pots and pans? Or Yeah, I, I totally did. Um, it's funny because nobody in my family are official musicians. Like there weren't any instruments necessarily growing up. Um, my grandmother loved to sing and I, I would find myself, my sister and I used to love singing and we used to write songs like while banging on um, Folgers coffee cans with like those foldable collapsible yep. hairbrushes. Those were nice. like our drumsticks. Um, but yeah, like I, it's funny cause I, I always kind of knew that I wanted to play music. Like since I could remember, we would go to like weddings and there would be a band on the stage and I would just want to get up there with the band. <laughs> and like, I, I've been known to jump up on stage and grab a tambourine at like a Greek function and just start playing, playing along. So yeah, it was like, it was something that I always knew I wanted to do. And so I, I found myself begging my parents to let me take music lessons and uh, there was no kind of precursor for that in my family. My sister was a dancer 
And so I got put into dance lessons and I sucked at dancing and I was just like, I just want to play music. So finally my parents signed me up for guitar lessons at like seven. And then that's when it officially started to, to grow. But before that it was very informal, but I was always singing or write, making songs up, I guess. Nice. And was guitar the instrument that you wanted or did they pick that for you? Um, I feel like they wanted me to play piano, which I eventually did do like a, about a year after I started playing guitar. But the guitar was something that I naturally gravitated towards. Like I always wanted an electric guitar. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. I, well, I had a little plastic guitar. I remember when I was a kid and then my brother or somebody sat on it and I was crushed. Um, and then I begged for guitar lessons and they had, it was with the conservatory and they had somebody come over with the accordion and do the aptitude test. My friend next door wanted to play guitar too. They, but they said, well, you're well suited for the accordion. And his dad loved that because he was from Newfoundland and he could play all those old folk tunes. So he got stuck with the accordion and I got to play guitar. Um, but I begged my dad for an electric guitar too. And he thought the acoustic guitar would be better oh, if you want to bring it around to parties. I thought at the time, maybe he was just being cheap. And But uh, I think uh, in retrospect, <laughs> it was probably a good way to start. But, my, uh, my family actually, yeah, my mom started me off on classical guitar. Because I guess that was like, they went to the music s school and they were like, oh, what should she start on? So they're like, oh, she should start with classical guitar. But I did, I was like, it was my dream to play electric. And actually one of my f first summer jobs was working for my, my family's company. I, I was filing and answering phones. I was 13. <laughs> and oh uh, and I, I worked that summer to save up for like my first guitar. And it was... um my dream guitar, which was a Fender American Stratocaster. And that year it wow. came out in aquamarine metallic color. And mm. there was one sitting in the glass case at the music store um, that I pretty much had my eye on. And luckily it was meant to be mine because it, it didn't get sold and I was able to buy it at the end of the summer. So, That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I kind of went on a bit of a guitar binge lately, but I had a Squire when I was younger. I just got my first kind of American Strat and American guitars a few years ago. And COVID hit and prior to that, I just went crazy and had my midlife crisis instead of buying sports cars i bought guitars <laughs> you know what I, I i have i'm obviously biased but i i love buying guitars i actually have two squires and i like them more than some of my american yeah. fenders so yeah, yeah they're they're awesome especially those new classic vibe squires are built to vintage specs and they, they sound amazing yeah well i've got a squire telly and it plays really nicely and, oh uh... i do too i got one from the 80s that i adore nice Nice. Yeah, that's one of my main guitars. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, one of the pictures I was just looking at when I was telling you before the show, I was showing my son an old guitar that I had, but my my wife left it in the car um, after picking me up at a gig. She had to run an errand, and then it got stolen out of the back seat. But uh, yeah, oh, it was that's the worst. Nothing. I don't know. If there's anything lower than stealing somebody's guitar. But anyway. Oh yeah, I actually someone stole my bass after a show. A few years ago. Um, actually, now it's probably more like 10 years ago. It's weird how time works. Yeah. yeah, it was about 10 years ago now. And I actually, like, I had a feeling I knew who it was. It was someone pretending to be, like, a promoter. Oh, wow. And I, I just had this knowingness. I was like, I'm going to find my guitar. And so I just started running, and I ran out of the venue, and all the security people started chasing after me, too. And I freaking <laughs> found the guy in, a, in an alleyway, and I nice. got my bass back. Yeah. No way. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Well, it's funny, you always hear these stories about people like Clapton or somebody that got a guitar stolen back in the 60s or 70s, and then 30 years later, somebody returns it or finds it. It's, it's crazy. But uh, Isn't that what just happened to Randy Bachman with his oh. like, first Gretsch or something? Oh, I that's think? right. Yeah, yeah. just located it in Japan. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, I just literally saw him talking about that on Instagram a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, it's like information overload these days with so much, so many things coming back at you. Um 
So the guitar, you got the electric guitar, started playing. So you were taking classical lessons or were you, is it more of an independent instructor or were you playing by ear and just kind of listening to tunes? And uh, It was a bit of both. I definitely, I had a really awesome guitar teacher uh, when I first started named Ray Hickey Jr. And he, um, so he taught me essentially the fundamentals of guitar and we built upon that for, for quite a few years. Um, but a lot of it, you know, it's funny because as much as I wanted to play music, I hated taking music lessons. Like I yeah. took piano. I did the conservatory stuff with piano. I also did vo voice, like classical voice. Um, and I never practiced. Like I, I <laughs> loathed practicing, but I loved playing. So right. I, and I, and I hated sight reading. Like I can kind of do it still, but I'm so out of practice with it because it's more of an intuitive thing for me, you know, and I felt like it stifled my creativity. I still yeah. feel that way sometimes. It's, it's nice to know, obviously, some theory, um, but a lot of my approach to music and stuff, it's always been um, a, a lot of intuition and ear, picking stuff up by ear, playing it back, or just exploring and finding my way through it, you know. Right, yeah, no, that's cool. Well, I, I mean, I know Paul McCartney doesn't, read or write music. And I know there was an opportunity for him to learn from somebody that he was working with a classical musician years ago. And he said, no, he goes, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with things. You know, my system's been working well for me, for, yeah. <laughs> which is clearly an understatement, but uh, yeah, for him. yeah I, I think sometimes that happens when you don't have that formal training, you experiment. I mean, you look at a lot of the punk and new wave bands and, and different bands and things over the years. And I think when you don't know things, you get maybe more exploratory because formally people will tell you oh you can't do that and you know it doesn't make sense and i was doing some recording last year too and the producer was formally trained and he thought it was weird you know the the, the chord that i was ending on on a song type of thing and he goes but then he kind of went oh it's kind of cool actually and he goes you know did you do that intentionally or by accident i said it's probably by accident but you know that's what it is you feel your way along and then mm -hmm. that's neat and then you go from there yeah. um and you, and you play multiple instruments now at this point that's uh yeah, I'm kind of self-taught on all the other ones. Like the bass I figured was going to be easy because it's just like a guitar, but with four strings. So I kind of play bass like a guitar player, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very melodic bass player. Um, yeah, and I, I taught myself how to play drums because then I was like, oh, I, I want to be able to record everything myself. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm pretty much anything that I need to pick up to get through a recording now. Like I'm by no means a virtuoso on anything. I like to call myself like a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> but I, I can get my way through it. And because for me, it's like, you know, my relationship with a, as a multi-instrumentalist is really tied into me being a songwriter as well. And ultimately... Right my approach to playing anything is what helps propel the songwriting forward, right? Like the story. So sure. That's more yeah. interesting to me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. If you need a sound, you just grab an instrument. Yeah. Um, well, and I would think as a producer, um, recording engineer drums are probably pretty fundamental. It's nice to have that ability to, to play your own uh, tracks as opposed to always having to rely on somebody else or program or, or use yeah. synthetic drums. Yeah, and I don't, it's funny. I don't usually record, drums like i'll usually hire a drummer and go to a space because especially when I'm, I'm working on an album like i i love to be able to listen to things and right and where and i'm not like you know i'm really picky about drums and i'm nowhere near as good as the guys that i hire yeah. or women that i hire to play um but yeah it, it it does help especially when it comes to programming as a producer because a lot of the time now especially now that we've been in covid times like i've been programming a lot and um and it really helps just to get a realistic way of of playing, you know, when you're programming. Right. Yeah.
text me on my birthday not to wish me happy birthday just to tell me about the other girl that you're in love with now yeah i think her name is megan well i know her name is megan cause your mom posted that photo i'll pretend i just found out say you're sorry for the heavy text yeah what the hell did you forget we haven't talked since back in may back when your uncle passed away you wanna make me jealous sorry i'm not overzealous i'm just blowing out my candles i can't handle you just trying to pull me back in back in back in are you trying to pull me back in, back in, back in? Mm. It's unsolicited contact. Now you're bringing up the past. Like we didn't end the shit for you. song called Unsolicited Contact, a hit single by Cassie Da Silva, co-written with and produced by Hill Kirkutis. So when did you when did you first start playing out publicly? Did you have a, a gig as a guitar player or as a singer? Were you just kind of going out and doing coffee shops and, and singing your own stuff? Or mm-hmm. I Well, I had a band, um, my first band. So I went to uh, an all-girls school in Whitby, Ontario from about... The, grade six to grade 12 so that was like my middle school high school experience and um we i started a band with the girls from my school and that was kind of our first first thing and so we started playing at functions at the school there was like coffee houses and arts nights and stuff and yeah we were at like a four-piece 
and played some pop rock tunes. We were called the Sirens. Actually, Megan Patrick, the the country artist, was yeah. uh, in my band. Oh no, kidding! She was yeah, she was one of the original Sirens. She was the lead singer. I was the guitar player slash songwriter. Um, oh. Yeah, and that was kind of how I I started, and then. I guess we were 12, and then by the time I was 13, 14, that's when I started playing the clubs downtown. Right. Um, yeah, so I just kind of started gigging from that age, and it never stopped. And and it was it started off with my projects, and then eventually, you know, at around 16, 17, I started getting asked to play for other artists as well. So I just kind of fell into that by accident. Right, cool. And, and you've played with some pretty big artists over the years. Was it the weekend that you were a singer in his band or a guitar player in I play bass and keyboards and bass and band. keyboard. I wasn't yeah. even close, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it depends on the gig, right? They're all. I'm not really known yeah. as doing one thing. So. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, are, like, are you one of those people that you know somebody's looking for? Some, oh yeah, I play the bass, or you know, I mean, you always hear like actors that they're looking for an actor that can ride a horse. Sure, I can do that absolutely. <laughs> well, that's just it. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the time that I've I've done those gigs, like playing for other artists, it's been friends of mine that that ask if I want to just come join them on the road right. for a bit so I haven't necessarily been that musician for hire that like auditions for okay. artists um but yeah like I'll, I'll get asked to go and usually I'm the multi-instrumentalist like I'm filling in a lot of gaps yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I'm asked to do that kind of stuff yeah nice that's a good spot to have um so and then were you on the road quite a bit or was it just kind of going out on the road coming back kind of doing your own stuff or it was both of that. I mean, there there was a good period of about 12 years that I was pretty consistently on the road. Like, that was the main yeah. thing. And, and interspersed with that, I'd come home and I'd produce projects or write on projects. Or um, I did also direct music videos for a stint as well. So I'm a film major. Um, so that kind of led me down this path of directing music videos for a while. So I was kind of balancing all that stuff whenever I'd be in town. And then the rest of the time was spent traveling. <laughs> nice. Nice. And did you enjoy it out on the road? Did you enjoy the touring or being just playing live or both? Or? I did. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny. I have a weird relationship with live shows because I love them. Like once I'm in the moment, I love yeah. it, but it's also been the greatest source of anxiety for me. Like I used to throw up before every show. Oh, no kidding. For, for pretty much the first six, six, seven years that I was gigging. Um, so it's, I'm never super comfortable with it, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I, I, I did love the experience of touring. Cause I'd always be on the road with my friends. We'd have adventures. You're in a new place every day. You're getting to yeah. know different people and cultures and communities. And I loved that about it. Um, but ultimately for me, I, I discovered after doing it because I was doing it so um, so much, I got to the point where I realized it wasn't like what I wanted to spend the majority of my time doing. Sure. Because the reason why I started playing music was for the creating, and I think that's why I, I always loved the studio so much, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I do love touring, and I still find myself going out for one-offs, you know, every so often just for an adventure, just to, yeah. to itch that scratch that I have. But, yeah, it's, I, I kind of have veered away from doing that now. Yeah, that's neat. Well, and, did, you know, did you find that a lot of that road work and a lot of that session playing impacted you as a songwriter, as a producer, that you kind of brought some of that experience and that energy and tightened you up as a player? And, um, you know, how, how was that kind of relationship? What did it bring to the studio for you? Yeah, I mean, all those things, I think. Sorry, my dog's barking in the background. She must have seen a squirrel. Sorry okay, we, we we have a husky golden retriever mix. We'll go after anything. Okay, yeah, and they're very vocal dogs. I have an Aussie doodle, so she's like a poodle <laughs> Australian shepherd mix. 
Does does she actually catch anything and bring them back? Uh, she caught a mouse once, and it was really, but she didn't really grab it. She was just pawing at it with her massive thunder paws. And oh, she's okay. a puppy; she's still kind of learning her gotcha. way through this world. But yeah, so in regards to the touring and uh, what that, how that relates to my studio work, it, it absolutely made me a better player. It made me, um, you know, just I think the more that you do something, the more it's going to enrich your life. And I feel like I've done so many different things that are all kind of relevant to my studio work. Like there's, yes, the songwriting, there's the playing with other people as a multi-instrumentalist, even directing music videos. Um, I also ran my own label for a bit and was releasing my own music independently. So I think all of those things kind of inform my job as a producer in the studio um, because you know, yes, part of my work as a producer is to help facilitate the recording of something, but I also really like to relate that to the artist artist career as a whole and kind of where that trajectory is headed. So all of those things and experiences do help me kind of draw all those things out into the recording. Very cool. So now with the anxiety that you kind of had with performing live, was singing a hard thing for you as well or did that just really kind of start at the same time as as the as the music or playing an instrument i mean singing was weird for me because i never felt like a singer like i loved singing background vocals but um i was always kind of the background vocalist in my first few projects and then i kind of became a lead singer out of necessity because i was just doing a new project and i needed right. i needed someone to sing so i'm like i might as well do it but i actually never liked singing i never felt connected to my voice until i felt i found my voice and i found it um i found it by accident like i was sitting in the ki- i was cooking in the kitchen i think i was like 17 or 18 and i um I was singing to some old like 1930s jazz recordings, like Gershwin mm. recordings. And there was something about me singing along to those where I found like it finally felt like my voice felt like it was mine. Like it was it felt effortless, which yeah. I it always felt like I was straining, like it wasn't comfortable. Um and then I think once I found that feeling, then I was able to start developing my joy of singing. Um but it I realized I wasn't like one of those technical singers you know like i'm more of a character singer so it was a matter of kind of accepting and finding what that was for me yeah that's an interesting journey i think a lot of people have come up that way i mean i know john hyatt heard an interview with him years ago and he said similar kind of thing he really didn't get his voice or like his voice and then you know he grew into it i mean and partly out of necessity as a songwriter who needed to go out and perform his own songs and he was trying to make it that way but other people were singing his songs and that's where he was having the success, but he wanted to be, you know, performing recording artists of his own. Uh, but it's interesting. I, I like the character voices. I mean, you know, and there's so many great ones in rock and roll and, and things. I mean, you know, female and male. And it's uh, it's an interesting thing, though. I think that's a good way of putting it. Like you, you're, when you find your voice, then that then suddenly it becomes that much more powerful. And then I think it it really, um, I mean, I do write for uh, songs for other people too, but when it comes to my own songs, like I finally, when I found that voice, it just kind of enhanced the songwriting because right. there was a, finally a narrator, like an uh, authentic yep. narrator for, for those stories. So. Yeah, yeah, it can definitely uh, convey them or sell them mm-hmm. a lot more um, honestly, yeah, I guess. Yeah, because you believe it, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and on the note of songwriting, do you remember, I mean, were you writing songs? Were you writing lyrics first, melodies, or just did, you know, songs come out at a young age, or was that kind of later down the road? 
Yeah, that's one of the first things that happened. Like, even before I picked up a guitar, I found myself writing songs. And I would write songs with my sister. Like, we we loved pop and dance music, so we'd find ourselves writing, like, these poppy kind of tunes. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, because I think I always um, gravitate, even now as a songwriter, like, I gravitate towards the music first. Like, I can almost hear the entire song and the, the instrumentation and the arrangement in my head. Um the odd time the lyric will come to me first, but it's usually a mix of both. It kind of feeds into itself. I don't even think I've written a song the same way twice. Like sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and the song is freaking written because I had a dream about it, you know, <laughs> or like other times it's a journey that takes, you know, a few years to unfold. Yeah. And then other times you just really have to sit with it, but I'll usually start hearing melodies in my head first and I'll just start, singing along to what I'm working out and then that it's almost like it starts to spill out from there if I right. if I give myself that space of allowing it to be fluid right because I think there's different hats that are worn depending on what you're doing like if I'm writing for another artist it's it's coming from I'm still trying to channel that personal experience so that it could be authentic and relatable um but I'm I'm a little I'm approaching it a bit differently than if I'm like writing a song for myself where it's a bit more exploratory because I don't necessarily know where it's coming from. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Well, and you know, I've taken songwriting workshops and I've read a ton of books and I think that's what I came to the conclusion after a while that there is no real definitive way. I mean, there are some songwriters that have a set way that they write, but I find at the end of the day, you know, most people, kind of it happens in a lot of different ways as you described and it and it's just interesting to to see how that comes along and um, you know as opposed I, I think especially if you're open to that too I think some people maybe just get closed off or they have a set way that they do things and um, but yeah I think the more you dive in the more you explore then the more different opportunities for songs arise um, it's interesting like I found TikTok it, it was not a thing that I thought I'd get into, but I mean, there's so much collaboration going on out there and I find yeah. that will happen. I mean, if somebody's looking for a, somebody to sing with them or play with them and it's interesting, the things that will come out of those sort of quick jams or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, it's very creative. So, and that's, I think how, for me personally, that's what made me a better writer is collaborating with other people. I think that's such an invaluable experience and it just, um, it expands what what your your paradigm because I think we're we have this innate sense of what we are used to doing that of what comes naturally to us and right. um, I think in order to keep things fresh and also to continue growing and refining your craft like having that experience of seeing how other people approach writing mm -hmm. um, has been one of the greatest teachers for me. Right now, your heart is sinking in hot water. Yeah, somehow it radiates a light. And this time, that pulls you even closer. Is the soul right of an old love at first sight? And I'm gonna. 
That was Feel It by Hill and the Sky Heroes. Well, that's interesting. I was going to ask you about that because as a producer, I mean, you know, I like the producers that kind of work with the artists that way. Like I can think top of my head, like Glenn Ballard working on the first Alanis Morissette album and, and, and working with various people. And it really was him going in and being a collaborator. And I see that with a lot of your stuff. I just interviewed Cassie Da Silva recently <laughs> um, and she had you producing half the CD and Robin producing the other half, but both of you, um, well, I think for you collaborating. I'm not sure if Robin was collaborating on songs, but um, certainly think, yourself. Yeah, she, she had co-written some songs with Cassie as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a very cool relationship because I think sometimes people get confused about you know what a producer does because sometimes a producer is is much more hands off, mm-hmm. um, and then you know in your case it sounds like you're very hands on. Yeah, and and it's funny because. I don't always necessarily produce the songs that I write and I don't always like write the songs that I produce. Right. So it's, um, for me, my mentality towards production is that, and you're right. Sometimes there is overlap like between the songwriting and production relationship, but I, I really think that the producer's job is to be able to, um, listen to what the artist wants and there's i think there's many goals that an artist can have ranging from personal goals to professional goals and i think all those things need to be known and taken into account so that 
the producer can then go in and facilitate the, that experience in order to execute not only the recording, but also make it a, um, a safe experience for the artist, you know, if right. that makes sense, because it, it re recording is a very, I mean, we all have our insecurities and stuff. I, I like, I know even when I go into the studio, like I'm always in my head about certain things. And I find that that's my goal is like trying to create the most holistic environment and trusting environment so that risks can be taken so that you can kind of push through and create th those very authentic things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, songwriting and performing is such a personal thing. And yeah, I mean, I, I can see that um, with the projects that you've been involved with uh, Tanya joy is another one. Um, mm -hmm. I know Tanya and we've written some songs together and um, we're quite friendly and, and you, you can see it was one of those things with, with her album coming out that it was really having the producer that, that really understood her vision um, and was fully on board and was helping her, um, you know, speak the language that she wanted to speak. And it was, it was really kind of, it was beautiful to see that. I mean, um, you know, and I don't know sometimes if these things would happen with a different producer um, or with the wrong person. I know in Cassie's case, she was very committed to having a, an all female team, mm -hmm. um, both with the videos and, and with the, with the production side of it. Um, do you find that you're working with a lot of um, female musicians and session players, or is it kind of a mixed team for you? Um, it's a mix. I, I do think that a lot of um, female artists do tend to gravitate. I, I, I tend to work more with them. I, and I think that's just because a lot of the um, artists that I've worked with actually, but this goes for a lot of the, the male artists I've worked with too. Like they do find that, working with a female producer is a bit of a different experience um in that they feel it, it, i don't know i think it's just a change i think honestly it's just a change like i know for the for the women i've worked with it's because there is a vulnerability that can be shared that right. you know um obviously you can relate to on a certain level with similar experiences i think even within the music industry we've shared a lot of the same experiences and and uh trials i guess coming up so yeah, but but it's not necessarily something that I consciously think about. Like I, I more so like to just find artists that I believe in, that I relate to, um, and there has to be a chemistry there. Because as you said, it's like, it, yeah, you're not going to get the same thing with just any producer artist relationship, right? Like it's a very unique connection. It's a it's a relationship that is very sacred to me, um, and I think that even when you're writing songs, right? Like there's some co-writing sessions that you do where, yeah, you can write a song, but there's, there are those special songs that stick out and it's because of that connection that you had with that collaborator, you know? So right. the, the producer artist relationship is very similar to that where like, if, if you can trust each other and you're on the same kind of wavelength and you just get each other and there's an unspoken language there, right? That, that I think is, what I look for in projects. And when that's present, then all the other things are very easy. Like it just kind of starts to flow and it's yeah. very synchronous. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so of all the hats that you do wear um, and, you know, is there a specific type of collaborating? Like do you prefer being a producer, a songwriter, um, musician? Is, well, you said songwriting, working in the studio is your favorite thing. So is it, within the studio is it is it the overall production or is it songwriting or to you or are they just you you can't really separate the two 
I do separate them because there's some things that I, I obviously produce that I don't write. I think right. it's just, for me, it's just about the creative journey and experience and, okay. and whether that's expressed through a song or through actually building something. And sometimes those things are um, happening simultaneously. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it's just about that experience of, of creating something from nothing, you know, and, and whether that begins with the song or whether that begins with like a, a scratch track, you know, that you build into yeah. a full production. Um, that's what fuels me. It's just that that's, that's what I think I've been chasing and what I constantly chase. It's that feeling of materializing something that was just conceptual, you know, that was abstract. Nice, nice. Um, and and you like to share that with people. I I was I attended your masterclass, which I thought was great. I mean, because there's not a lot of artists that, and producers and, and people who do those type of things, but it, it's fantastic. But you could tell that passion, that excitement, um, and that thoroughness, and and it was really wanting to share that. I think with everybody else, it was fascinating to me that it wasn't really even a thought of about, hey, I'm doing this great thing or I'm giving back. It was just it seemed more natural and organic with you that, um, that you would kind of share your experiences and your knowledge with people. Yeah. Well, I think I, in a way it is paying it forward because I had so many people that have been that for me, you know, that right. kind of inspired me and, um, opened up my world and all the possibilities and, um, and it's something I'm just passionate about. Like when I'm passionate about something, I can freaking talk about it for, for days. You yeah, know? yeah. It makes it much and, easier. I think any anything having to do with the creative process or even just technical things, because there is that side of me where, yeah, I love the fluidity of creativity, but I also really, really love the technical aspect of what I do. Um, like I love gear and I love knowing <laughs> wh why certain things um, sound and do the things that they do and how that influences everything else. And so, yeah, I like to understand the tools that I'm, I'm using or that are available to me. Yeah, to really think, maximize on them so that's awesome i i think it's i can't remember what it was you had just posted something that, that you had finally gotten a piece of gear for your studio it's a right week in front of me right now <laughs> <laughs> and you were so yeah. excited about it yeah uh, i know and it's stuff that obviously people are like i don't know what that is but i'm happy for you <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh well you can never have enough gear i mean really yeah i know uh, i'm waiting for for a piece now and it's like a because i'm i'm a huge fan of the motown sound right and i uh -huh. I've kind of recreated aspects of it, I think, in some of the projects I've done. But it's it's something that I'm like, I haven't quite had the right tools to execute it in that, like, authentic way. So I'm yeah. waiting for this preamp now that is based on the preamps that they used, um, the tube preamps that they used for all the Motown recordings. Oh, nice. Uh, and, yeah, I'm excited because I, I also didn't realize, like, I assumed that they just mic'd their amps and it's like they were going direct. Oh, yeah. The, right straight wow. into the into the board. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would have so assumed like, back that's then, That's why too. that guitar sound is, like, so specific because I've never been able to recreate it. I've always been miking amps and I'm like, oh, it was a direct signal going through a tube. That's all uh, it was. That's interesting. And obviously amazing players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, along with what the Beatles and the and the Beach Boys were doing um, and, and Phil Spector, I mean, the other side of it was what was happening in Motown. So much influence on, on songwriting and sound and, and, and recording um, that we probably, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, we take for granted, and especially younger people maybe coming up. Um, so it's neat that people are kind of going back and exploring and going, how did they get that sound? <laughs> it's uh... Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think like that, that was a huge 
part of what inspired me growing up. It's like you hear that recording, right? Where you're kind of like your jaw falls to the ground. You're like, how do they do that? Like, what is that? And I think that's, that's an interesting part of production for me. And I think what I, I never, I don't think I consciously knew I wanted to produce, but I ever since now looking back in retrospect, it's something that I always kind of was wanting to do. You know, I was always interested when I would listen to a song, like what are the, what's the instrumentation and how are they getting those sounds and what are those effects? And I think from a really young age, I started to pick those things apart and I've always been interested in like reverse engineering yeah. um, sound. That's amazing. I mean, I, I think we probably could just talk a whole show on that segment. I mean, I, I, I just love hearing what you have to say, but I, I'm being kind of mindful of the time because I know you have a session that you have to run off to. So mm -hmm. we'll definitely have to catch up with you, uh, I think, in the new year and then and, and do some follow up and, and talk more specifically about some of the artists and the projects that you've been working on. We're going to feature some of that music in the show. But I, I wanted to get to the 10 questions, if you're OK with that, because um, I always like uh, I always love uh, I find there's some very interesting answers that we get on the show. Um, so uh, the 10 questions for anybody who's not familiar with it was uh, developed by a French interviewer, Bernard Pivot, and then made famous by James Lipton on the actor studio. Um, so are you ready? I think so. <laughs> All right. All right. Hill, what is your favorite word? Um, there is a Greek word that I love and it's philotimo. And that's, I think, one of my favorite words. And it's really hard to translate in English um, because it is it's essentially a word that encompasses the highest virtues of living um, in the Greek culture. It, and it spans back to the ancient times. But it's essentially um, a, a series of virtues that relate to kindness and honor and unconditional love and friendship and appreciation essentially for the path that you're forging, but also an appreciation for your ancestors that have come before you. Wow. So it's, it's loaded, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a deep words. word. <laughs> Philactimo, is that? Uh... Philotimo. Philotimo. Yeah. Wow. I have to remember that one. Might have to get that stenciled <laughs> on my wall. Um, and how about your least favorite word? Uh, probably phlegm. <laughs> yeah, that's nasty. It's disgusting. It's pretty gross. Yeah, any gross word like about a bodily function are kind of my not favorite words. Fair enough. Um, so, you know, I think we know the answer to some of this, but what turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? Hmm. I think um, those kindred relationships, you know, like I, I love meeting people and, ta and talking with people, but every so often you come across that moment and it might be a stranger or it might be someone you've known forever, but those really profound conversations that are had where time just ceases to exist, I think are some of the most powerful moments that exist you know and and i i long for those moments nice and what turned you off uh probably dishonesty i think that's uh inauthenticity yeah yeah um and there's been so much of that i think the last couple of years at least in this at least in the social media and the political world i'm not sure, sure about the real world uh i mean i was watching a Dave Chappelle's recent show and he was talking about a friend of his getting bashed on Twitter and he said, but it didn't really matter because it's not a real place, but uh, I think we forget that sometimes. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite curse word? Um, I love to curse. So that's hard. <laughs> I have like the mouth of a trucker and I have since I was like two years old, but probably fuck. Nice. 
Yeah, that, that seems to be the most popular one by far. Um, yeah. I had a new one last week. It was Bastard, which was the first time I'd heard that on the show. So yeah. um, what sound or noise do you love? Uh, that's hard. I love a lot of sounds. Um, probably the sound of a surf guitar is one of my favorite sounds. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Dick Dale and those guys. and Yeah, or even just some like good old Nancy Sinatra, like bang, bang, that like dark surf. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino vibes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Love he, that sound. He, that's he, like the soundtrack of my life, I feel. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah it was such a unique thing and and, uh, and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, mastication. I hate chewing sounds. I have... I realize this is a thing. It's called misophonia. Someone informed oh. me because I have a yeah. I've always had like a strong aversion to to mouth sounds, and it's I know it's weird because I listen to people singing on mics and like microscopically all the time. <laughs> so you're gonna hear um, all those. <laughs> but it's not quite that. It's like usually in the context of me sitting in a restaurant. If I I can literally zone in on the person chewing across the room, and something festers in me like this this anger. I can't yeah. explain it, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we have a 12 year old son, and I'm conscious of that especially now that he's getting into middle school and he's going to be out more socially and maybe have an interest in dating and things like that i'm going you know dude you got to really and just do everything your dad doesn't do and you should be okay but uh, um <laughs> uh what profession other than your own would you like to attempt this is hard because i i as much as i love what i do i always dream of what else i can do because I, I don't even think of my job as a job. It's just some, it's, I just do it. And there's other things that I'd love to just do. Um, probably, I don't know, I'd love to be a chef. I've like toyed around with the idea of being a botanist because I love plants and I love to like make new plants. Um, I also love archaeology. So I think I would love to be an archaeologist. Nice. Uncover some history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like you're doing that a little bit, anyways, with your exploration of the Motown sound. And so it seems like a <laughs> in, natural in a way, fit. Yes, it's sonic yeah. archaeology. There you go. Sonic, there's a new term. Um, what profession would you not like to do? I think just doing the same thing every day is what I'd not like to do. Um, so I don't know whether that's like a a desk job, maybe. I, I just, I can't do those kinds of jobs, I feel like. Oh, well, I could if I had to, but yeah. yeah. I kind of just love that I don't know what I'm going to do every day. It's kind of a mystery. Like, I know the framework, but I don't know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, I think that's a common thing for musicians. It's just mm-hmm. the nine to five. Uh, I mean, many of them probably have to work various jobs to support their their Absolutely. passion. But yeah. uh, not a natural thing to to want to work those guys. And so many lucky musicians maybe have never had a real job (laughs) whatever a real job is um um, and if heaven exists uh what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates uh this is a hard one um i guess i'd like to hear that i lived with purpose you know i don't know i think that's what I want for my life. I want to make sure that I'm living it to the fullest and that, um, yeah, I didn't compromise. Very good. Well, it's, uh, it sounds like you're heading in the right direction. Um, <laughs> just, well, I mean, and just as a fan, uh, and somebody's aware of you speaking of, you know, of your body of work and the people that you've worked with and the things that you've contributed, um, and you're, you're still much, much younger than I am. Um, uh, so I think you're well on your way. Um, so that's fantastic. Well, it, it's been an absolute pleasure um, getting to chat with you. I got to uh, 
meet you virtually the first time I was song studio a couple of years ago and, and the interview right. there and, and being a mentor and you've continued on that path of, of giving back, which is, which is fantastic. So I, I look forward to the new projects and I look forward to getting an opportunity to, to chat with you again, hopefully in the new year. So uh, Hill Kirkudis, thank you very much for joining us on Musicians FAQ this week. Thanks, Stuart. I pray it's raining outside Cause my tears have long dried And my love like the tide has gone out Well, there once flowed a river How I long to forgive her The silent killer
Hi, this is Hill Kirkutis, and you are listening to The Musician's FAQ with Stuart McKee on CKMS 102.7 FM Radio Waterloo.
Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists 